Welcome to the Texas Long Guest Podcast. Ryan right here. Josh Shelton had something come up, unfortunately, and he will not be here today. He should be back for next week. And so in his place, we brought back uh, the man who broke the internet last week, Robert Martinez. Robert, <laughs> thanks for hopping on. Short notice, this just came up yesterday, so appreciate you hopping on with us. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate the, the opportunity to come back here and redeem myself after the uh, last week's uh, conversation. So it's great. Well, yeah, let's get into that real quick. So there's two things that came up from, from last week. Uh, first off, oh, hold on, before we get into that, let me say something. You know, I think this is the quickest promotion I've ever gotten, right? <laughs> you go from being one level and then you move up next to, you know, your co-host in the show, the show. Now, no disrespect for Josh, you know, Josh, uh, you know, our thoughts are with you and, and what you're going through back home. Um, but, you know, maybe you've promoted me because, you know, unlike my past opportunities and different working engagements, uh, the new salary didn't have to come with a new job, right? Typically they hold you back and they don't want to give you a raise because, oh man, I'm going to have to pay him a vice president, mm-hmm. which quite funny story. I've never been a vice president. Uh, so that's how that kind of works. Right. But, yeah. uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Let's well, you get the same pay that we paid Josh. So we'll pay you can commensurate with his pay. No worries there. And awesome. Uh, awesome. We'll, we'll probably double it just to, just cover that. Just, just, just to cover everything. Yeah, holiday pay. Holiday. I got to, I got to cover this, uh, this camera, this new little fancy webcam camera that I bought. It still looks terrible by the way. No, uh, that's pretty good. But there's, I had two, a one- there's two questions that really broke the internet last week. Uh, first, why are we not friends? I had people pouring in like, <laughs> dude, why does Robert hate you guys? He wouldn't even say y'all friends publicly. Uh, and two, um, we had a little back and forth over why you think the price is, is the, the fundamentals are strong on the price. The price right now is trending down this morning. I think everything's kind of trending downward, but, uh, but so first Robert, why are we not friends? And then two, why are you bullish on the price right now? Well, I'd like to think that we are friends. Uh, you know, if you're text messaging me, typically I consider you a friend because I don't like to give my cell phone out to people that I don't really like, unless you're a really angry interest owner that happened to get my cell phone from, some bathroom in the library somewhere for some reason you know that's happened before someone's written my name and number somewhere it's terrible um <laughs> but yeah uh we're friends at least i thought i, I, I thought we were i bought you some uh, hamburgers last time and uh, you didn't even much to say thank you so wow oh that's aggressive that's aggressive <laughs> i gotta wow. punch back man you can't be throwing jabs at me on the internet or, or the podcast or wherever the people are driving down the road here and me sit here and take it you know so. i'm pretty sure i bought last time but if I didn't, and I didn't say thank you, okay, listen, I would have said thank you. Josh wouldn't have said thank you. That's the guy. He never, he has no manners. Well, Josh just doesn't say much. He's pretty quiet, right? He's pretty quiet. It's very, it's magical for me to watch him on the show on your YouTube channel, by the way. People don't know that this is actually ends up on YouTube. Yeah. And so uh, you, you'll be famous that way and you'll get to see how ugly we really are. Yeah. Um, but Josh doesn't say much in person, at least when I'm, when I'm around. Maybe he's just astonished at some of the crazy things I say. Who knows? He doesn't. But when, but he when he gets on these shows, he just comes alive, which just oh, great. he's a bubbling personality. Now, so. quit talking bad about Josh. I miss the guy. He's a good dude. Let's not let's not get carried away. Let's not get carried away. So, uh, the other thing is the fundamentals. So, uh, we had people reach out, said, "Hey, I, I was." Some people liked your take on the price. Some people didn't like your take on the price. I agree. I thought the price is overinflated. Any reflection on that, or you know, you want to admit that I was right now, or you know, how do you want to handle? But so, that? so here's like what you remember. One of the first things I told you: if anybody knows what prices are going to do, they're full of it. Right. And so everybody's opinion is good as mine or as good as anybody else's. Uh, you can get into the fundamentals. But one thing you got to remember when you're gauging somebody's opinion on market sentiment, what lens are they looking at things through? Right. From what perspective are they seeing the way things are? Are they a producer? Are they a service 
company employee? Are they a staff engineer? Are they an investor? Or are they an innocent bystander, right? So right. those are all important lenses to look at, right? right. Uh, <clears throat> we, in my company, Titan Rock, we're looking at the market as an acquirer, right? We're looking to acquire more assets. We're looking to, to pick up uh, assets, right? And, and if the, the market truly believed that it should be much lower than, than where it is now, we'd see a lot more for sale, a lot more on the A&D market, right? It'd be a hot potato. Well, you know, prices are going to drop like a rock, we need to go ahead and get this off our hands. Um, and so there is not that activity. And at least for the last year, you're not seeing some of, some of the activity. If you've ever subscribed to BMO's you know, weekly snapshot, you'd see the number of deals per, per month and per quarter. I don't know that, that that's gonna continue to go, but it's gonna drop. It's been dropping for two years now. So um, if people really thought this was a hot potato, you see a lot more on the market. Now, to be honest with you, we always talk about oil price, but what's, what's really not happening here, we're not talking about the oil price curve, which is the fundamental difference here. You know, we're talking about spot prices. You know, we're talking about what the price is today right now. It's somewhere in the 47.30, but it's backwardated, which means that today's price of 47.30 is much higher than people believe the future price of oil. So I'm not saying it's going to go up. Uh, when we're talking about relative to the shape of the curve. So today it's 47.30, you know, but but the market and, and, the, and, the, and the forward curves show that it'll be down to 46 by the end of 2023. So that's $1.30 movement from today to the end of 2023. That's not a lot of movement, you know? So yeah. now is it gonna be 50, 60, 70? I have no idea, but I'd like to believe that it would. But honestly, I think you said 70 is probably a bad thing for our industry, right? I think having prices that high is actually a bad thing for us. Okay, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said that because when I look at the price and I've told you this when we've talked before, um, when you bought burgers and I thank you, is that, you know, when Bloomberg puts out an article, price moves 3%. The guy on the rig, he doesn't care about that one way or another. What he cares about is, is the price, and I hate saying break even, but for this term, is the price above break even? Because if it's above break even, he gets to go home. He gets to have a job. Things are kind of moving along. you know. And as someone who's worked in the, the oil field uh, services sector for so long, to me, that's really the big number is, are we above 50, 55, somewhere in that range? When you get below that, you start getting nervous, right? Um, so, so again, one of my big... Go ahead. Sorry. Honestly, so, so I'm looking at the price. I am definitely looking at more of a near-term price because as the price, you know, where it's at right now, you're kind of borderline. Some companies will work, some companies won't. If it goes down too far, the companies that are working will stop. Um, and so for me, that's kind of how I'm looking at it a little bit more uh, more near-term. Um, I don't really look at the longer trend stuff because I'm extremely bullish on oil long-term. I think it's not going anywhere. You know, how high will it get? I have no idea, but it's not going anywhere. Um, and so how all that shapes out, I don't know. So it's interesting because when you're talking about the price, you're looking at it from this perspective and I'm looking at it going, okay, you know, if I was owning a service company and you know, we're planning our next two, three months, do we think we expect to see the price crash or should we go hire a sales guy? You know, that's kind of how I'm evaluating it. So you're looking at it from one of my, you make a good point. One of my biggest pet peeves I see all the time in the news and in the media today on, on shows and on talking heads is that, they're talking about break-even prices, right? And I think we've talked about this before at lunch. Um, there's a difference in break-even prices, and I hope most of your listeners understand this. It's the capital break-even price, like the AFE break-even price. What does it take for me to drill a well and be profitable and make our economic hurdles, not just to make money, but make money for our investors mm -hmm. fully baked, including burdens and overhead and things of that nature, right? And then there's the break-even price, which is the operating expense break-even price, assuming the drilling costs are are gone, right? So if you look at the production in our country, you got a lot of shale, but when prices drop the way they do, it discourages capital spending. 
well, what determines whether a company makes money or not, other than going through the debt, which is a big part of what's happening, is the break-even price for the produce, producing wells. So there's two types of break-even. And the rig hand, which I've been on the rig, I've worked on rig before, uh, they're concerned about the break-even prices and the spot price today that's going to keep that rig moving. But you got to understand the business is much more than just the capital side of things. It's just it's much more than the drilling and the completing and the fracks. There's a whole other part of the business, which is the, in my opinion, the, the long-standing part of the business is once you're done drilling these wells, what do they turn into? Producers, right? Artificial lift, things of that nature, work over rigs to repair pumps. So that's a different type of break-even, and that's a different yeah. price, you know, that we're looking at. So, you know, if you're looking at the A&D market right now, and and for the last year and a half, nobody's buying acquisitions for the most part, other than acreage, you know, big acreage positions, uh, for and paying upside. You know, what he's paying for undrill locations or recompletions or anything like that. It's essentially a PDP, you know, producing, develop, prove producing, develop, I just say PDP mm. driven market. Right. And that's what the buy and sell is, is happening. So, you know, yeah, you're right. I think I think the capital part of it is, is one part of it. And but ultimately it's profitability long term. Right. So, yeah, so it's not that I disagree with anything you say. I think that the, the, the reason uh, we talked yesterday when I asked you come on, we won't talk about this again, is that we're not necessarily talking about the same thing. We're talking about the price. Is the price overinflated, underinflated, too high, too low? How you're talking about it, I don't necessarily disagree with your analysis of what you're talking about, but what I'm talking about is not the same thing. And and so um and so anyways, I think I think that's important because we we do we've talked about that before on the show where uh, I, I hate saying break even because as you mentioned, it doesn't really have uh, a clear definition. And even if it does, it's just, it's different for each company. So I hate I hate using that terminology, but but by and large, I'm talking about the price. I'm more, I'm more talking about this to where are we at right now today? How does it feel? Does it feel too high? Does it feel too low? Um, you know, are we overinflated? You know, if you went back in 2016, I don't know what the prediction numbers were in 2016 for 2017, 2018, but I doubt they were as low as they were um, as, as the price ended up being, you know, until the market, right. start, until the market started to fall. So the forward looking numbers are kind of hard for me to gauge. Um, but if you're looking at the numbers at the time, you, you could have seen that the, the inventory was was building quickly, and so you you know you'd been smart to say, hey, the price seems a little bit overinflated. No one well, did, they, and <laughs> you know. But in the back of the curve, though, if you look at it, you know, it is it's starting to bank that and starting to mark that as you get out into out years, it starts to continue to drop. So even though today's spot price to some people might seem inflated, you know, the out years have have been coming out, coming down, and that's reflective in transaction prices when they sell. People typically look at the strip and slap that on the the reserve database to transact. So, so just to tell you a little bit about what we're seeing, and I'm not saying it's going to go up or down. I'm just saying for us as a buyer, it makes sense to look at the entire shape of the curve and look at which way the wind's blowing directionally across the industry, including the international, right? And so our research is showing us that there's going to be a higher probability that you're going to have more demand and supply in 2022, right? I gave you the number for 2023, which is was it 46? Yeah. And so we're, we're seeing that there's a higher chance that you're going to have more demand and supply in 2022. Yes, that could be dampened a little bit by the second strain of the COVID that's making the rounds. That's been, that's been out in the, out and about now. You're hearing about it now in the, in the press. I heard about something like this about eight weeks ago from a friend of mine that's really, really in the, into the press. He works for a major corporation, a media corporation. And uh, he said, hey, I'm hearing there's a second round of, you know, there's second strain out there that people are catching this more contagious than the first. And now it's starting to hit the, Hit the, hit the press today uh, and that could be dampering the you know the demand right it's going to push out the recovery even that much further but even pushing into 2023 that's still two years out and and the companies that today need to be thinking longer term than two years out right so uh, and i agree I, I agree this is so 
you're looking at it from an operator standpoint. I'm looking at it from a service side standpoint. Well, the service company's got to figure out how to survive, you know, from 2021 yeah. uh, to make it 2022, 2023. And that's the hard thing is how do you survive and, and how do you do that? So anyway, so I, uh, I want to get to, we have a guest coming on, um, Jay Young here in a minute. Uh, a few stories I want to hit real quick, get your take on them. Um, so the rig count is up. I'm curious from your perspective, um, the rig count's up, whatever, that we can talk about that anytime. How are you trying to gauge what the rig count means today? Because it doesn't mean what it meant. It's like, you know, I wrote a piece for the War Room uh, about a few weeks ago about the stock market and, and how many fewer companies there are traded publicly. And so whatever the stock market means, it doesn't mean what it meant back in 1996. So what does the rig count mean today to you? Like, do you look at the rig count and go, oh, okay, this is good, this is bad? Or are you trying to figure out what it's going to mean because we've had such a crazy year? Well, you know, as an industry, we're supposed to be practicing capital discipline. And that includes taking advantage of efficiencies, right? And scale. Um, the days of masking a company in fiscal performance by hiding behind a drilling rig are over, right? And they should be. Uh, every well that that's uh, drilled needs to stand on its own and completely burdened. And if they don't, you don't need to be drilling them. And I think the investment community and PE understands that. So I think when you're starting to look at the rig count, it's not important just to look at the rig number itself. It's who's doing the drilling. Right. Are we talking about private equity backed companies? Are we talking about small independents? Are we talking about public companies? Public companies has a different model and they look at things in the world differently. Right. Um, so a lot of these companies just don't need to be drilling them. Um, it just but then again, I don't I don't live in their world, so I don't see their economics of their of their wells. But based on the data that, I, that I'm looking at, especially stuff that's off the tier one. Mm-hmm. The economics don't make sense at, at current prices, right? But that's their call. That's their, right. you know, they got to outrun the monster. They got to, you know, private equity chasing them and so on and so forth. So. Is there a certain amount of rigs that, you know, if you woke up next Friday and the rig report came out and you would you be concerned like you know, 20 new rigs, 50 new rigs? Um, at what point would you say, oh my gosh, like we are really getting to the point to where we've got too many rigs out there and whatever the forward stuff means, <laughs> you know, we may drill the sucker down. So we, we can't sell rig counts, all right? You know, we don't make money by, just like I tell people in the field, I don't make money on pressure. I don't care if the pressure of the well is pretty high. That doesn't sell. It's oil and gas. So I don't make money on the rig counts, right? Looking at the rig counts is just an indicator. What I do make money on is a ca- the price of oil and the price of gas. And so this goes back to what we talked about earlier, is I'm looking at the oil and gas prices, and I'm looking at the outward strip and how far out into the curve and what the movement of that. Uh, it looks like because that's actually trading hands. There's financial contracts trading hands on a daily basis, hedges, so on and so forth, based on exactly those numbers. So it's good to look, peek over at the rig count, and I do track the rig count versus the price of oil and gas. Mm-hmm. But my primary lens into how this is going to affect us directly is going to be on the price of oil and looking out in the, at the strip itself. Okay. Speaking of the price, uh, this was from Friday, I believe. Yeah. Seventh straight weekly gain. Closed above 49, as we said this morning. We record at 10 o'clock Central Time for listeners' perspective. It's 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 down to 47. Um, as you mentioned, there's a new variant strain that's been talked about some, but now it's getting some wind in the UK. They've had more shutdowns. Um, I think it's safe to say we will not post an eight-week weekly gain <laughs> this week, Robert. Probably I not. I think we're pretty safe there. Um, the shutdowns, you know, it's, it's weird because – the shutdowns in the UK, and I haven't seen where else I've been traveling this weekend, so I didn't get to follow too much. Um, I know the UK had some partial shutdowns uh, or lockdowns. Um, 
you know, one of the things that I've, I've talked about before on the show is we know what the bottom of the market is now. We like we know basically how low oil, oil demand can go. Like we 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 didn't really know what that was uh, back in February. You know, everyone could have guessed, but we we now we now know. So does that mean that maybe as you see the lockdowns, the price won't swing as wildly because people do know where the floor is? Well, I think it goes it goes two ways. It's not only that they know where the floor is, but also as far as COVID nineteen is concerned, people know what it know what it'll do to you. Right. When this first happened, we had no idea how, how terrible this was going to be. We had no idea. Is it going to take the lives of people in their 20s or 30s? Does it affect the kids? You know, we didn't know anything about this virus. This reminds me of a couple of years ago when we had the Zika virus. You know, everything was everybody was freaking out over that. And then, you know, mosquito bites you. And what are the long term impacts of that? Right. And I don't fully know yet how that's going to affect us long term. But I think COVID specifically I think people uh, recognize that, okay, if you're within a certain age and certain demographic, you're probably going to be okay, right? You're probably going to live. So I, I just think that the number of shutdowns, especially in the United States, being a free country, uh, it's going to be a lot less. So I just don't think we'll get back down to that level of lockdown like, like we had in, earlier in the year. Now, the year, European countries and things of that nature, you know, they have a different rule of government, rule of law, and they can impose those kind of things on their folks and people for the most part, you know, they can complain about it, but they comply. Here in the United States, I just don't see us getting shut down to the point that we were in March. So I expected that domestic consumption is going to either hold where we're at today or it's going to slightly rise over time. That's a good point. So the floor, and we saw earlier this year, is not even the floor now. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's not even the floor now. The floor is a little higher because we, we probably won't see the same level of lockdown. So we know what the floor is. But really, it's like a fall floor because it would be above that. So the prices are going to respond accordingly because they're, they're, they say, well, we're not going back down to that because people probably won't, you know, the lockdowns won't be as draconian as they were in the spring. There's much more to it than that, right? Though we're talking about lockdowns and demand, but you always have the X factor. Right? I don't know what you want to call it, but it's essentially what the rest of the world's doing. The Middle East is always, you know, OPEC and the cuts and and uh, the spare, spare capacity, the Ron sanctions and all those things. Uh, those are wild cards, right? And so we can estimate what we think will happen, but you look what happened not long ago when Russia and, and, and was it OPEC or who got into a bind okay, and they started, yeah. yeah, they started flooding the market and down comes the price. So, I mean, those things are still out there potentially that can come back and bite us to the butt. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. I think we got time for one more, maybe, maybe two more. Let's see if we get them quick. Um, demand recovery, signs of recovering demand boost prices for U.S. crudes. The, man, the, the demand recovery has been interesting to watch because if you look at travel data, you know, from flight data or from driving data over the holiday season, it's down pretty substantial. I think over Thanksgiving week, it was down the lowest since 1997. The flight data, the, the, the single biggest flying day of the year was down 40% year over year. Um, and so it, it feels like, hey, you know, we're at the spot where the, the demand's up, but it's really not up relative to what it was last year. Are you concerned that maybe we're a little bit overly optimistic about the demand data because it's um, it's not as rosy as you know the stock market would have you believe at least? I think we could be, but again, it goes back to and only I'm only speaking specifically about COVID and the second strain. I do think that 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 does exist out there. I don't, you know, I'm not a doctor, so don't hold that against me, and I don't want to get a bunch of phone calls and saying that, that I think hey. I'm a doctor, but I'm, I'm well, worried about it. You come on this show; it's controversial. You gotta have hot take. <laughs> Go. I am worried a little bit about the second strain. I do believe that there is some variants out there, just like any other, you know, the flu has yeah. strains. That's why you get the flu virus and then, you know, or a flu vaccine. And then a couple of weeks later, you have a flu. So I think there, there may be something to that. Um, and we still don't know what that is. But what we do know is that 
for the most part, most people are going to be fine. You know, I've I had several close friends of mine, uh, they've gotten COVID and, uh, you know, some of them healthier than others. And for the most part, everybody's okay. Now that being said, I want to minimize that. I've lost friends as well. I lost family members over COVID, but I'm just saying, generally speaking, their underlying risk factors and, uh, are different. So we kind of know what COVID is going to do to certain people. Now there's always a surprise, right? Some young 25 year old marathon runner, you know, dies from it and that's terrible. And, and uh, it happens, but for the most part, we're not, we don't, we're not in a situation where we were in February or March where we don't, we didn't know what we didn't know. At least now we know. Okay. And some people are willing to take the risk more. I, I bet you that um, Christmas and, and, and New Year's holiday uh, travel is going to be up, even though we're kind of an all time high in some places in COVID cases, because people recognize it. Look, I'm probably not going to kill me. I'll, you know, I'll get sick and I'll live. And so they'll, they're willing to take that risk. And up next, we have on recurring guest and a good friend of mine, a man who publicly acknowledges our friendship, a man who's taken me to places that I would never have gone without him. Um, of course, you're talking about my friend, your friend, the one, the only Jay Young. Jay, it's good to have you on the show again. How are you doing, sir? Well, uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for thanks for having me again on your show, man. You're awesome. Well, it's the least we could do for you know a friend like you. And so... Um, I hear where you're going with that, Ryan. I, mean, I, I really hear. I really hear that. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Just, just making it clear. We're, we're, we're friends, right, Jay? Right. We're friends. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, Absolutely. But now we, we got to meet our new friend, Mr. Martinez. Martinez. Yeah, so. well, well, me and Jay can quickly develop a friendship. Ryan, you, you and me. I mean, we got some mending to do here. Well, well, it sounds like it. It sounds, it sounds like, like it. it. Well, Jay, real quick. So, um, we, we were talking offline. So, uh, you and I went toward. I, I was just your guest. You toured. You took me to a tour of the, of the new Ranger Stadium before it was open. This has been a year ago, last October. I know I was taking you to the World Series. You were there. Just how was it? How was the stadium? I hadn't talked to you since the World Series. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. I mean, that is one of the most beautiful places uh, on the planet. It really is an incredible place. But, I mean, the weather is the best thing. I mean, mm-hmm. man, I mean, how many Rangers, you know, they never get any veteran pitchers because it's so hot in, in Arlington and in uh, July and August, but man, they, they, that's not going to be the excuse anymore. So, I mean, I know they're rebuilding now, but man, you went when it was dirt dry. We had to wear hard hats. I mean, it was, you know, which is a great, great time. And I really enjoyed getting to see all the suites underneath and the, the club they're going to have underneath where you can go in there and eat, you know, oh, yeah. free. And, and it's, it's kind of like, I don't know if anybody that had anything to do with AT&T has anything to do with this on the setup, but it's probably the pretty much the same. You know, I've been to a lot of stadiums, even, you know, St. Louis and the Cardinal, the card room or the card, uh, I forget what they call it underneath the stands were the same thing with uh, Cardinals, but uh, St. Louis, but same thing. It's going to be incredible. But I mean, I, I haven't seen the, the, we were looking at the, the right behind home plate. Oh man, those were nice. Man, I tell you what, you're right there next to these people, right next to the Rangers. And, and uh, you know, we, haven't I haven't seen a game from down there yet uh they didn't have those during the World Series but during the I mean I went to the National League Championship Series you know Dodgers and then with the World Series and I tell you what it was I mean we were on the third base side a little ways up and it was just incredible I mean it was because they had 30 seats and we could only take 10 Mm -hmm. you know because of COVID but you know the the food was great the people working were, were thankful, you know, we were there, but also too, you know, the weather 
and just the ambiance of the, the mm -hmm. atmosphere there was just really, really great. Look forward to the Ranger season. Yeah, well, and also back when we were going there, you know, we were, I was looking at some nice deals going into 2020. <laughs> we were talking about getting this suite. Now it's like, uh, can you stand some more stimulus our way? <laughs> so it's funny how things have changed over the course of the year. So uh, I want to get you back on. So we've had you on, I don't remember when it was, and we talked about the price of wool. Uh, we had Robert on last week talk about the price, and obviously with Josh out today, we, we brought him on to help as well. Um, just, just talk about the price. What are you thinking? Um, I'm thinking the price is a little bit overinflated, at least right now. Um, what are your thoughts as we wrap up 2020 with the price? Uh, yeah, I, I said it would go, this is back in December. I thought it would go below 35. I thought we have a big sell-off. We're seeing a little bit of sell-off this morning. Uh, I thought we hit below 35. What's your thoughts on the price? It's at 47 well, last time I looked this morning. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's down $2 today, but I mean, we're, we're going to 50, 50 plus until, you know, today, and I know that, uh, you know, demand and, I mean, you know, everything's about supply and demand, right? Mm -hmm. It is about supply and demand. And our country needs over 20 million barrels of oil a day in the United States. That's our appetite. That's how much we need. I mean, that's not a, that's not us, you know, gobbling up more. That, that is our need is 20 million plus. We were producing 13.6 million a day before pandemic. Rig count goes down, shell wells decline. People cutting wells off. I mean, it went to 10 and it's going to go below that, you know, so it'll continue to go down our production. So we need 20 plus we're making 10, 20 minus 10 is when he still need 10 from foreign countries. And then when the demand comes back and we need 22, 23, like where we were before the pandemic, you know, you need 23 million and you're making nine or eight. There's a bigger discrepancy there and that that what's going to happen there is they're going to say wow saudi arabia and russia they plan for this right they plan for this you know difference of how much oil we need so therefore they're going to go man hey we'll sell it to you but it's it's going to cost you you know because that we, we we forget how these countries make money you know these countries produce a lot more than they need We're, it's not like the united states you know, we've exported some because our refineries can't help it. But, but you know, we don't produce, you know, we're not energy efficient or energy, um, what do you call that, Robert? Where Independent. Yeah, we're not. We're not. I mean, yeah. that's what people go, I mean, this, this senator asked me one time, he goes, well, how does it feel to be energy independent? I, I said, hey, man, I, unless somebody could do some math for me, unless things change really fast, mm. we're not. I mean, we, we, we aren't unless we lose half our demand or something. No, I think you make a good point, Jane. This is something that's another one of those things that everybody talks about energy independent and how, how that, you know, puts us in a much better spot. But just to your point, we're not energy independent because the refineries can't process the oil that we produce in this country. You know, that's pr the primary reason we're not. We're making in terms of volume with the light sweet crude more than we need, I guess you could say. But ultimately, we can't even use it because we can't refine it in our own uh, refineries. And you know, the EPA regulations are only going to get more stringent and more, and more difficult over time. So uh, revamping and upgrading these facilities to be able to to take some of our domestic crude is going to be a tough a tough sell, especially in the Biden administration. So, again, where does that leave us? And to me, it goes back to the political aspect of it where we talk about how we're energy independent. But really and truly, we don't have a lot of control over that because you're still uh, subject to OPEG whims right opec and some of the other middle eastern countries they can they theoretically decide 
what the price is going to go and what they're going to do. We just can't all of a sudden say, you know what, we're going to, we're going to send our oil to the refineries and we're going to refine our, our with our own oil. That's just not going to happen. Right. Right. And if you don't have it and they have it and they're, they're not going to do you any favors. Right. I mean, they're not going to just go, Oh, well, I'm sorry. You guys don't have enough oil. Well, because this is what happened back prior pandemic was they, they wanted to flood our markets because shell production went from five to 13 million a day. Five to 13 million was all that shell, S-H-A-L-E in the Permian Basin, you know, the other places that you have shell and, and, and it just increased so much. And then the price was going up and that was what helped. And then all of a sudden they know, they know what the cure for U.S. production to go down is low oil prices. And how do they do that? By flooding our markets with oil. There was tankers off you know, the Hudson River and, and the coast of California. There's all these tankers hanging around going, oh, hey, we need, I don't know how much of that would show, but, but I mean, it, it did show that, hey, you know what? We, we didn't have enough oil and this is how they make money. These countries, Nigeria, Saudi Arabia, I mean, that's how they make money for their countries is by selling oil and the higher the price, the better for them. Robert's talked a little bit. I'm curious from your perspective, how concerned are you about, um, the money in the U.S. Uh, leaving the industry and not wanting to come back uh, maybe ever or at least for the next two to three, four years. What, are, what have you been hearing from the money folks? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tougher now than it ever has been. And it will be. I mean, you hear that hundreds of billions of dollars that was spent in the shell will never get their money back. $125 billion or something crazy. But, I mean, all this money was spent, and all of a sudden it stuck in this shell now it's sitting here going, okay, well, where's my return? It's not there, but the best cure for low oil prices, the best cure for low oil prices is what? Low oil prices. Low oil prices, right. So, so the lower oil prices go, and all of a sudden people are going to go, oh, my gosh, we have oil, so oil prices go up. And then, because, I mean, banks may be saying that right now, but, man, when they get a taste of $60, $70, $80 crude, they may be going, yeah, I know I said that. But let's go ahead and – deploy some capital, you know, cause we're not going to see it. You would think that, that, and I, and I was, I was kind of, I was, I was mad at Trump for him allowing these foreign countries to flood our markets with oil. And you would think that we would be smarter about this, about what's best for the U S economy. You know, it's not, it's not $20 oil, nowhere close. You know, it's not a hundred dollar oil, nowhere close. There's gotta be somewhere median in there that says, you know what? This is healthy for everybody, and we're, we're not spending, you know, six dollars at the pump. But we're also we have a good trickle down theory because you know one rig, one rig may spend a hundred million dollars a year in the economy, and for for uh, you know I mean talking about bars and restaurants and dry cleaners and donut shops and I mean man I mean when we're drilling, we had a couple of rigs running. I mean we were like man I mean we're buying donut, we're taking I mean money and just you know, spending it like no tomorrow in these towns. That's what they need. You need this. Well, you know, like to your point, Jay, one of the things I was telling Ryan earlier, and I don't know if you got to it, but um, when you start looking at the, at the, the rig count, um, the majority of the folks out there with the rigs today, I'm looking at drilling info right now, you know, on the maps, and I'm seeing the EOG sitting at 22, Pioneer at 13, Shell at 13, Chevron at 11, Ox at 11, Concho at 10. 
then Exxon Mobil at 10. And then after that, you just have a bunch of small companies coming in. Well, not small. I mean, you got Chesapeake and Atheon and those and those groups. But I'm saying most of the guys that are running the, the rigs right now are public companies, right? And their dollars and their cost of capital is much different than the private equity-backed companies. So, you know, I was going to ask you what your opinion was on how does private equity handle this going forward? I know that that, that model has dramatically changed, but how do you see that changing in the next couple of years where, uh, you know, you had a seemingly unlimited amount of capital to put to the space and now they seem like everybody's pulled back. Yeah. And I think it's going to take a long time for private equity to come back. I mean, your institutions, because private equity, that's, that's what drives private equity is the institutional money, right? And, and if they're not getting the returns that they want, need, they've been accustomed to back, you know, back in the day when all this brand new started, I mean, when all this started, Back in the day, I mean, you know, Ken Hirsch at NGP and, and even before that, I mean, this is what, you know, started all this and they they gave the institutions what they wanted with the with the write-offs and the not necessarily the write-offs, but the 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 policing allowance, but they gave them these very, very healthy returns. And you're really not gonna see it for a while. Now, will it come back? I don't know if it'll ever come back or not, but it won't come back for two to three years. I know that. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if I don't know if if we're ever gonna have a healthy NGP model where they're, you know, raising a $6 billion fund or spending two to $300 million per company. And they're, I don't know if that's, if that's ever going to come back because of, because of, um, um, of people that need that size to build again, you know, because of everybody making changes, but also know this, you know, it will come back anytime soon if it ever does. Because I mean, the 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 money is what drives that whole entire market. Well, will there ever be companies that need assets? Yes. What we do is we just raise money for one project instead of twenty. But you know, people will will need our product. Public companies still need our product, but it's just not on the scale when you have five to six different private equity firms raising these four, five, six billion dollars each. You know, that's massive. Well, a lot of, I mean, when you have that level of capital destruction over time, you know, and it's not any one person's fault. It's just a number of things that are outside of control, right? We're in the capitalist environment here in this country so that the, everybody, every man for himself, but when you get that kind of uh, capital destruction, then you're going to, you're going to be a little bit uh, less, you're going to be less likely to invest as, as a pension fund or money manager or so on and so forth. You know, I can't remember the exact numbers, but at some point we had probably what, 10, 20%. S&P 500 in oil and gas, and now it's materially less than that. And and so the investment uh, into private equity funds, from what I understand, is quite a bit less than it used to be as well. So even if you invest as a money manager, as a pension fund manager, insurance manager, endowment manager, you're investing in a, into a fund, and you, let's say you put in 2 to 3% of your fund in, into energy and oil and gas, specifically upstream, even if you hit a home run and, and 3x and 4x it it doesn't really move the needle for you as a fund manager and i think that's the challenge that we're up against as an industry exactly and you know all of that does if you'll think about it for a second what if you have that many funds and that much capital going toward drilling wells because they they drill what they do is they acquire an asset they drill it up and they divest right that's add model it's kind of like what we do but but they have 20 different companies so there's a hundred 120 companies that need these assets, big assets. And if they're not drilling, what's happening to our supply? What's happening right. to our supply in the United States 
because of these 120 companies not getting two, three, four rigs. What's happening to our supply? What's going to happen? You know, JP Morgan, you know, called back in April. They said, hey, oil prices are going to go negative. You know, and I'd have bet everything I had that prices weren't going to go negative. I mean, you and everyone else. <laughs> man, my great grandfather would turn in his grave. I mean, you know, I mean, unbelievable that, that prices would go negative. JP Morgan said, hey, it's going negative. It did. Now they're saying that there's a great chance that oil will be at $190 a barrel. 190 in five years. Well, maybe four or five years, four or five, four years down. You know, so what they're saying is, is that there's so many people that are going to be out of the market, mm-hmm. you know, out of the market, not drilling for oil. So our supply won't be there when our supply is not there and the demand's there. What's going to happen to the price of oil? I mean, here it goes, right? So, so you're seeing exactly what JP Morgan, but exactly what economics is all about. Now, my brother graduated SMU economics. I mean, I wasn't the economics guru like my buddy, my buddy Ron Ray, but but you know, <laughs> but I'm just saying supply and demand. I understand supply and demand. And if you don't have the supply, but you have that demand, mm-hmm. you know, it's gonna be electric cars. Yeah. Five, 10, 15 years ago, that or five, 10, 15 years from now, that is gonna make a difference. That will make a difference five, 10, 15 years from now. Today, no. So we we're talking about Ryan at the start the show when you asked, you know, why I thought the prices would go up. And, and, you know, we talked about when are we talking about going up? Are we talking yeah. about in six months? Are we talking about in five to six years? And so ultimately, right. it's that. I mean, we, we really don't know where we're going to be even in three years. You know, so I, I agree with, with Jay. And I think that the supply is going gonna, is gonna to come down. You know, the, the decline uh, rates on some of these wells that we've, quit drilling and the ones that we last drilled uh, are really, really high. And so right. with COVID, I, mean, I think the COVID recovery and the delay there potentially is masking mm-hmm. the supply demand balance. Um, but is that going to be at the end of next year? I don't know that, you know, right. but, well, uh, yeah. So I, I agree with, I agree with the long-term oil and gas thesis. I mean, I, I've, I've made that publicly clear for years and years and years now. I, I'm not, yeah. So I'm looking more short-term, like I was telling Robert, you know, look at it from a service side thing, you know, companies got to survive until next year. And the, the more companies that go away, then the, the, the quicker this problem you could see, of course, we got to figure out, you know, China has a huge SPR. Uh, and so, you know, how will they put those barrels back onto the market to control the price? There's a lot of, there's a lot of barrels bulls that none of us can sit here and figure out how they're going to play out. But one thing that I, I want to let you go with this, Jay, uh, you know, Robert talked about, um, you, what, what are you mentioning? The, the return that you get. And until the tech companies kind of have their bubble burst again, <laughs> and these, these, oh, these IPOs, these overvaluations, if you look at a lot of that stuff, that's a lot of fake money, in my opinion, going into a lot of, that, a lot of those tech bubbles. Um, we need other industries also to kind of have a pullback so that the returns that you can get when oil and gas is done well, do look more attractive. And that's nothing that that's, that's kind of out of our control. Um, but will oil and gas be responsible? <laughs> next up or will we go back to our old ways that's the joke just give me one more oil boom and i promise i'll save my money <laughs> will we save it our next time jay oh yeah absolutely and, and, and i do believe that i do believe we're going to have another have another good bump in oil prices you know and and i would i would recommend to everybody i mean it's not going to happen forever i mean my family's been in the business 100 years my grandfather my great-grandfather had 12 kids Everybody's in the old business, you know, and man, if, if, you're, if you're a man, you're in the old business. If you're a woman, you're married to somebody in the old business. And, and so we have a lot of oil and gas people and 
We've said that time and time again. Don't know how many more cycles we're going to have. I do know we're going to have another one. It's not going to, aren't we, it's a supply and demand issue. You can't tell me that, that the demand is going to go down as fast as our supply is going to. Yeah. Yeah. We, well, so really what we're saying here, I think is, is uh, when do we get back to hundred million barrels a day? None, none of us know that answer. It probably won't be next year. It might be 2022, 2023. I think we're safe. We probably all agree by that point we are there, if not sooner. And then beyond that, uh, when you look at Africa emerging markets, you know, and you look at their GDP, um, and if you assume that they're going to have any kind of exponential growth or decent growth, uh, the demand, the global demand for oil will, will exceed 100 million barrels a day. And in this time period, if you're not putting oil into supply or oil on the market, you're going to see the price get out of whack. And so that's kind of the, that's kind the of cap- the, the capital's dried up, right? And that's the problem here is that we're no longer putting capital. But like you notice, I just mentioned to you the number of the companies that actually have drilling rigs out there, they're all public companies. So, so for some reason they have the ability to do that, you know, more than private companies, but you're right. You know, the, the, the supply I think is, is going to suffer in the near term, not in the next year, maybe not next year and a half, but look out, you know, two, three years from now, things are going to be potentially materially different. And, you know, who's going to be the ones in business still at the time. Cause I can tell you right now, there are many companies that are not going to be able to make it for That's two, three years. Uh, right. So we'll see. Okay. Jay, listen, I know we're up against the clock here. Um, tell folks where they can find you. I know you got a picture of your book in the background. I've got a copy later on here somewhere. Um, King operating, where can people find you? Where you want to point them to the Jay Young show? You know, I, I've, I've heard you've had a lot of decent guests on the Jay Young show, but you haven't really got the A-listers on. Just, just, want, to, just want to throw that I'm out. Saving the best, I'm saving the best for last. <laughs> I'm saving the best for last. You know, I've, I've got a list of people and, and I need, you're right. I've been thinking about how to do, how to, how to get more quality and better yeah. quality. And that's where I need to go. I need to up my game with you guys. Get, get the, yeah, my, 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 my book is Texas, uh, Upside of Only Gas Investing. It's, it's how, it's how the, the investors, you know, $100,000 invest, wants to get involved in the oil and gas business. And, and what's a good deal? What's a bad deal? I tell you about it right there in my book, mm-hmm. Oil and Gas Investing. That's actually there because I have my bathroom door right behind that. And if you, <laughs> and if you don't see that, I was like, okay, well, man. So, uh, but anyway, uh, it's my office. But, you know, so uh, jryoung.com, kingoperating.com, you know, I've been in business for of years and and uh, you know like to like for you to come on and and um, you know you will you if you do come on you will not be on the Jay Young show before Ryan Ray I guarantee you that. <laughs> okay so call so me Jay- beg Robert I'm sorry man I can't have you on the Jay Young show before no I'm perfectly okay with that but I'm since I'm talking to the man the, the myth the legend here the author himself tell me where I need to be you say the upside investing where where, where do I need to be looking if I'm in the market and I'm looking to buy assets right now you know. I don't think in the Permian, you know, I don't think in the Permian, I mean, we're, we're, we're in Colorado with, the, with an asset that we have and vertical wells, you know, that, that would produce 40,000 barrels of oil and in the Permian produce over 150,000 barrels of oil because of the, it's, there's no shell. That's what this, the Permian Basin is, the shell, S-H-A-L-E, and wells just don't make that much oil, but up there it does, you know, so you need lower, you need lower break-evens. And that's why we love the idea of, of, of the oil and gas that we have in our Colorado asset. So I, I love Colorado. I love natural gas for next year. I think that's going to be great. I just don't, it's, it's hard to drill for wells and make the break-evens that you need in the Permian Basin. 
Jay, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. It's always good to get you on. You always appreciate your time. We appreciate it. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And we'll get you back on sometime next year. Uh, Great. To talk about what's going on then. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate that. And Robert, very nice meeting you. Merry Christmas. Likewise. Paul. Merry Christmas. Thank Thanks. And that was Jay Young with King Operating, a friend of the show. Good guy. Uh, good to have him on. Robert, that is, I think, a wrap for this episode. Uh, wish you and your family a Merry Christmas. Thanks for hopping on. Short notice. In doing this, uh, it seemed like you and Jay had a lot of fun um, talking oil and gas, and so maybe we should do that more often. It's great. It's always, it's always good to talk oil and gas with people, especially now when, like we said earlier, nobody knows what's going to happen. That's right. So, all right, brother. Well, Merry Christmas to you and, and Happy New Year to you and your family, and I'm sure we'll be talking uh, now that we're officially friends. That's good to know. All right. Sounds great. Merry Christmas, everyone. Thanks. But listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep climbing. <laughs>